Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're walking through, studying through the book of Ephesians, particularly because it focuses to a great extent on how a congregation is to uh, act and how a congregation is to live with one another. We're looking at chapter 4, and I just want to draw our attention to a few verses, verse 17 through verse 19. And so Paul writes, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Very powerful words and very direct uh, statements indeed. The book of Ephesians, as we've looked at in the past, really divides into two parts. Chapters 1 to 3 are doctrinal in nature. They're teaching. Paul is laying a theological foundation for what he will then write in chapters 4 through 6. Chapters 4 through 6 are more practical in nature. How do we live out the faith that we have? How do we live out these theological themes that have been introduced to us, explained to us in chapters 1 to 3? The book can be divided in another way when you look at chapters uh, 1 to 3, and then when you get to chapter 4 and dealing with this practical part, the second part can be divided into two parts as well. So in chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, Paul's concern was with respect to unity of the faith. So if we look at chapter 4, the second part, of the book of Ephesians, it too can be divided into two parts. The first part, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, focuses on unity. Paul is very much concerned that the body of believers in Ephesus and all body of believers that he has gathered together would live as one. So if you look at chapter 4, he says this over and over again. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. The notion of unity is focused on the essence of our body. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, 
One Lord, one faith, one immersion, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. The focus is that of unity. And he says here that we are to maintain the unity of the faith. We are to make every effort to make sure that we are working together. And he talks about the body being diverse. There are, di- there are diverse gifts in the body and gifted individuals. So some are called as apostles and prophets. I've shared a little bit about that, but I believe these are two gifts to the body and to our body in the 21st century, even though apostles and prophets do not exist today. In the first century, they were the foundation pieces upon which the body of Messiah was built. The body of Messiah today stands on the foundation pieces the Lord has laid. So they are still relevant to us. The apostles and prophets are the writers of Scripture. They are still instructing us today, 2,000 years after they have written these documents for us to uh, inquire, to study, and to live out. So Paul's telling us we are gifted with individuals. Not just gifted with gifts, but gifted with individuals who are gifts to us. We are God's gifts to one another. We do not oftentimes see ourselves as such. We do not respond to each other that way as we ought, but we need to look at one another as God's gift to me because we are all unique in the body of Messiah. Some are apostles and prophets. Some are evangelists. And some of our evangelists went out recently as Josh and those that came up to the platform shared with us. Some did the work of an evangelist. An evangelist is one who proclaims the good news. Paul writes to Timothy and tells him to do the work of an evangelist, although Timothy's calling was that of a shepherd to the flock, and he was entrusted with the body of believers at Ephesus shortly after Paul leaves. So though Timothy was a pastor, a shepherd, a caretaker, a nurturer, and a teacher of the flock, he too was instructed by Paul to do the work of an evangelist. We were all to do the work of an evangelist as God enables us to do, but some are uniquely gifted as such. I share with you last time some individuals that I know of who are gifted as such. I mentioned last week Greg Laurie. He's gifted as such. And when he shares the message and gives an invitation for people to respond, they can't help but respond. Because that's how God has shaped him and equipped him and crafted him. And he develops that shaping and that gifting and the skills that are necessary for that kind of ministry. And God continues to bless. Previous to a man like Greg Lowry, we had in our own day and age, Billy Graham, who was incredibly used by God. There have been people throughout all the generations preceding our own whom God has used uniquely in bringing the gospel forward and people responding to it. In the book of Acts, we have a man known as Philip, who is known as particularly as an evangelist. And his work resulted in many responding to his message, particularly those from Samaria, but not exclusively as such. 
But the scripture goes on to say, Paul says, not only apostles and prophets and evangelists, but also pastor teachers. Now, these are not all the gifted individuals that God has given to his body, because in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, we have further gifted gifts that are given to the body. So there is diversity. There are differences. There are different focuses, different concerns that we all bring to the body. But we are to work as one in order that the effectiveness of our body would be as great as it can be. It is as the body comes together with all of its multiple parts that it can begin to be as effective as God would want it to be. Of course, we see this lived out in all kinds of experiences in our own life. The other day, just turning the television on and seeing, okay, we're in the era of football now. I'm still focused on baseball. The World Series is around the corner. The Red Sox are doing absolutely marvelous. So my focus is on that. But I'm looking through and there's football. I watched Alabama and Texas A&M. And it's so interesting that these guys, they just know when to come on the field, when to come off the field. They know what play to call because the coach over here is telling them what play to call. And some guy up in the booth is looking down on the field of play and he's calling the shots to the coach on the side. The coach on the side is relaying them to the quarterback. The quarterback is making it known to his team. If there is a break in that sort of chain of events, the game just stops. And though time keeps coming, they can't run the play. The body of Messiah works in a similar way, similar way. Not in the same way, but in a similar way. There are different parts. The parts have to be coordinated and operating together. There has to be a sense of team morale. There has to be unity so that we are working together and desiring to work together. Some of the team morale is demonstrated by having the same uniform, the same look. And in doing that, It helps to spur them on to the same goal. we got to move the ball up the field. In a similar way, the body of Messiah is meant to work. Paul uses the imagery of the human body. The human body being made up of all different parts. But in order for the human body to benefit most, each of its parts must work well together. And when the parts aren't working well, then the body as a whole, even though... Individual parts in the bo- of the body are not affected. The body of a, as a whole is. So we know that when individuals become paralyzed, the whole body is affected. It may just be their legs, but everything gets affected. If somebody experiences a stroke, their whole body is affected. If somebody experiences blindness, their whole body is affected. If somebody gets sick and a virus begins to attack a part of the body, the whole body is affected. And so we need to realize how important each member of the body is because each member affects the entirety of the body. And so Paul's first concern is that we understand the sense of unity and the sense of working together and the sense of bringing the gifts that God has given to us to the fore. Not something we have to be shy about, but something we have to champion and say, God has crafted me to do this. Help me to utilize this gift where I can use it. Or we need to say, you know, God has really used you in this way. We need to see that God uses you more and more in that way. 
But that's verses 1 to 16. When we get to chapter 4, verse 17, through the end, he has another issue in mind. The body not only works well when it works in unity, and it must work that way if it's to be affected, but the body must also walk in purity. And so the remainder of Paul's letter deals with what does purity consist of? What does holiness consist of? What does righteousness look like? And so he gives us some very basic expressions of righteousness and purity and holiness as we all need to manifest that in our lives as well. For a body to be healthy, it must work in unity, but it must walk in purity. So now take a look at these verses very quickly with me as we sort of introduce this second section of Paul's letter. He tells us that he insists on something. This is very unique in Paul's writings. I can't think of other places where he speaks so directly as here. He insists on this. And he says, first of all, that we must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, he focuses on the Gentiles because he has been focusing on them with respect to his own calling and ministry to them. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. He magnified his ministry among the Gentiles. Though a Jew of Jews, though a Pharisee of Pharisee, though a Hebrew of Hebrews, and not a Hellenistic Jew, though raised in Tarsus, which is in present-day Asia Minor, but a very Hebraic Jew, for he was educated not in Tarsus, but in Jerusalem. And he wasn't educated in any context, but in the context of one of the most notable rabbis of his day, Rabbi Gamaliel. And his role was such that he worked in consort with the very Sanhedrin, the leading Jewish body in the land of Israel. This is a man of great stature in the Jewish community, but he focuses his attention upon the Gentile world. Why? Because God had told us through the prophets that when the Messiah would come, and all of Scripture deals with the coming of Messiah, that when the Messiah would come, something unique would happen. Gentiles would be responsive to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was not something that had occurred on such a scale as it had since Messiah's coming and to this very day. Up until Messiah's coming, the work of God was among his chosen people, the Jewish people. Isaiah spoke to the Jews. Jeremiah spoke to the Jews. All of those whom we refer to as the minor prophets wrote for the Jews. We only have one writing prophet sent to Gentiles, Jonah. He's read on Yom Kippur to remind the Jewish community that God's concern is not only with the Jewish people, but with the Gentiles as well. But he's a lone voice among the Gentiles as he is sent to Nineveh. But God told Abraham, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. But up until Messiah's coming, all the nations of the earth were not did not have the privilege of hearing the revelation of the true God of the universe. And that's why the nations of the world were worshiping pagan gods. They had not heard of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Certainly not to the degree that that the Jewish people had. But God told us through his prophets 
that something unique will happen when Messiah comes, that he would be rejected among his own and accepted among those to whom he initially did not come for. And so John tells us he came upon unto his own, but his own received him not. We're supposed to say, really? Why would that be? How is it that his own would not receive him? The reason is God's plan and purpose is that when the Messiah come, there would be a great coming into the faith among the Gentile peoples of the world. And Paul, who oftentimes gets a bum rap by those who do not appreciate his writings or acknowledge the Brit HaDashah, the New Covenant Scriptures, was the principal architect in God's hands of bringing the gospel out to the Gentile peoples of the world. That was his unique calling. So he's very much aware of the failings of the pagan world. Now, he's telling this congregation of believers who are most made up mostly of Gentiles, though not exclusively of Gentiles, you're no longer to live the kind of life you used to live. And while he speaks about the Gentiles, this is true of all of us. We're no longer to live the kind of life we had lived before we knew the Lord. Now, for some of us, it's hard to imagine what our life was like before we knew the Lord because we grew up in a home that was faithful to God and our life has always been lived in the Lord. But we know what the world lives like. We know what the world around us honors and projects and values. And so to, though many of us, some of us have come to faith younger in life, we still know what the world is made of and how we ought not to live as well as how we ought to live. Those who've come to faith later in life, you know exactly what Paul is talking about. The only challenge there is you've had less time in order to live the way God would have you to live. That doesn't bar us from living marvelously before God, but it certainly challenges us greater because certain habit patterns begin to form. Certain kinds of ways of thinking begin to form in our lives. And it's hard to discard those things, discredit those things, because they've become a part of us. Yet Paul is telling us we need to be conscious of that reality. And then he tells us that we must no longer live this way. And he speaks about three things I just want to talk about. First of all, he tells us the way that the Gentiles live, the way that the pagan world lives, the way that people in the world who do not value God live is due to these things. The first thing he mentions is the futility of their thinking. So we really are what we think. You know, there was that book years ago, diet book or something like that, You Are What You Eat. And that's very true, you know. But we're also, we are what we think. And how we think somehow gets meshed into the heart. And how we think and how our heart is affected manifests itself in how we live. So the first thing Paul talks about is our thinking. In Romans, Paul said we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds because how we think is how we will be and act. That's why when we recite the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength because how we think 
will make itself known in how we live. So we have to think differently. In the ancient world, and particularly in the Roman world, thinking was paramount. The Romans were greatly affected by the Greeks. And much of Jewish thought was affected by the Greeks. All you need to do is read some of Philo. All you need to do is take a look at the Septuagint. That's a reflection of Greek impact on the Jewish world. And so what the Greeks thought was that our body and matter and substance was something we needed to escape from. But what was highest of all was how we thought. And that's why the Greeks valued philosophers so much. And that's why when you study Greek culture, you're always studying about these great thinkers in Greek history. Because the mind was paramount. Paul is telling us that the way that our minds operate and think needs to be changed. And the way that it needs to be changed is by the work of God in our hearts, on our minds, and the submission to his word as it's revealed to us. So the first thing he tells us is we have to be mindful of how we think through things. And the way we think will affect how we live. The second thing he talks about is not only the futility of our thinking, but he talks about our understanding being therefore darkened. And that darkening of our understanding leads to a hardening of our hearts. The Greek word here used for hardening is a unique word. It's used, for example, to speak of stones, uniquely of marble, a very hard stone. The word is not only used with, res- with respect to stones and with geology, but it's also used with respect to the human body and in medicine. And so, for example, doctors in the ancient world, when they used this term with regard to the hardening of our joints, they would refer to what we now refer to as arthritis. So when the joints get hard and they no longer get pliable and we get stiff and we can't move properly. The word was applied in medical usage where a broken bone would be set and as the bone would begin to reheal and regrow, it would get hard and then the bone would get strong. It was used to denote a callus something that would impede life to flow through, sort of like a mound of dead skin. Today, we speak of scleros, or this hardening that occurs on the nerves. Multiple sclerosis comes from the Greek word scleros. Multiple scleroses, multiple hardenings, multiple uh, tissues that form and calluses that form on the nerves themselves or on the sheaths that surround the nerves. And as a consequence, electrical impulses can't even get through. And thus people become paralyzed in some way because the electrical impulses from the brain to a given part of the body do not operate. And then their limbs cannot respond. Paul says that's what happens to our hearts. A hardening occurs and the result is we don't hear God's voice. And therefore, the third thing he says is that we're not to be like the Gentiles whose thinking is skewed, wrongly so, whose heart 
has become hard, calloused, marbleized, and no longer hearing the voice of God. And as a result, he says, we then are separated, verse 18, from the very life of God himself. That is what Paul is concerned about. That we can actually be living corpses. And you know, that can happen among believers as well. We can pride ourselves in what we experienced so many years ago when we invited the Lord into our lives. And the effect of that moment can be rendered inoperative and our lives do not look any different from the lives of others who do not know God as they ought. We know that can happen because it happens to these believers in Ephesus. Because Paul, as he writes and challenges them with respect to their love for God and one another, when we get to the book of Revelation, one of the churches to whom the letter is written is this body of believers. And the warning is that they have lost their first love. How does that happen? It happens when we live like we used to live and we allow the futility that once was a part of our thinking to become the way we think again. When the hardness of our heart that seemed to be um, meshed and mushy and, you know, disintegrated, and we heard the voice of God and we fell on our faces before him and said, oh, Lord, if you, and these are my words that I say when I invite the Lord into my life, oh, Lord, if you can do something with this life, you can have it. But then as years go by, you think that this life is something and is something great. Apart from the grace of God, it is not. We are all dead in trespasses and sins. But we all came to that point where in humility we said, Lord, if you can do something with my life, you can have it. And he does do something with our life. And then we think, We've done something with our life. Purity comes by right thinking, by listening to the right voices, the voice of God as articulated in his word. It comes by recognizing that if we don't move in this direction, we will be alienated from the very life of God. And when alienated from the very life of God, we wonder why God doesn't work or operate or speak as fully as he did in the past. It ultimately comes down to our purity of life and walk. I don't just mean in our conduct, but in our sense of dependency and our need for him. He says in verse 19, having lost all sensitivity... And have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. This is something Paul is writing to the believers at Ephesus. 
And therefore, we as believers in Los Angeles need to be as mindful of this as well. So we're switching our service to Shabbat. Josh asked the question months ago. So what does that really mean? Well, in the very bottom line, it just means we're meeting on a different day. What does it mean about what will we do? Well, we're certainly not going to depart from God's word. But if we expect that God will do something in our lives that we crave for him to do, whether we meet on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, it doesn't mean anything what day of the week we meet on. It ultimately comes down to our life in him. Will we allow him to have the control of our lives as Paul is intimating? Will we work hard to preserve the unity, as he said in the previous verses, and seek to have our gifts utilized so the body can be healthy? And will we seek to walk in righteousness in the manner in which Paul is going to describe? If we do, then we will experience the life of God in a most marvelous way. Personally, but Paul's concern is collectively. We all want to walk individually as God would have us by walk, I mean live, so that we as a whole body would be healthy. It isn't just about me. It's about what impact I have to the greater body and to the greater life of God manifested here at Beth Ariel. But then we can even look bigger. What kind of life Beth Ariel manifests can have a great impact on the variety of believers and churches and other congregations that are in our area as well. It is a great challenge. And it is a great uh, goal that God has for us to experience and to achieve. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word to us. Help us, Lord, to be ones who truly love you with our minds. May we think righteous thoughts. May we love one another so much that we trust what might be said. Love believes all things. That's a challenge for any body to exhibit. We pray that we might exhibit that kind of love for one another and love for you here on a regular and consistent basis. Help us, Lord, to think clearly of your truths. Help us, Lord, to be humble before you. Help us, Lord, to experience the fullness of life that you have for us, not only individually, but ultimately that your life would be experienced in the broader context here at Beth Ariel. So, Lord, we praise you, we honor you, and we are grateful for your grace to us. Help us, Father, to always live in light of it. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers. 
And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.